So last week we started this new series, Pray Like Jesus. And, and as we begin uh, this morning, I would love us to take a moment and, and do something that we probably don't do nearly enough. I would love us to just take a moment and pray. And I'm going to ask you to pray there at your seat. Because we have these unbelievable partnerships with ministries all over this world. And sometimes we just fly through what's going on. But, but one of the things that time and time again they say we desperately would love from you, Hillside, is your prayers. And so, just by way of reminder, and if you're new here to let you know, we have a few partnerships in Kenya. We have a partnership with ELI, which is Empowering Lives International. Don and Amy Rogers are there, and and just an unbelievable partnership. If you were here in the fall when Don spoke, you, you just got a glimpse of his heart. But I would love us to take a moment and pray for them. Also in Kenya, we have a partnership with Living Room, and that's Amy. And, and we would love, as, as she was here, Amy, Julie, I'm sorry, my mind's not working. Uh, Julie, and, and just pray that, that the Living Room and their ministry would continue to, to flourish and change lives. We have a partnership in Arizona with Rainbow Acres, uh, a, a camp for deve- developmentally disabled adults. And it gives them a place to thrive, a ranch to work on. Many of you have been there yourselves. And then also here in town, a partnership with the Gap Food Bank. And it's not just about bringing food once a month on the first weekend of the month, it's, it's also about us praying for them and praying that God would move it in their ministries and change lives through their ministries. So if we could just take a moment, would you just in your own words, uh, with your eyes closed before God, just pray over any of these four ministries, all of these four, and then I'll close this in just a moment. Let's pray. God, what a privilege it is to have partnerships all over this world, to be able to be a partner with you in touching lives in Africa and Arizona and here in our own community. Lord, we know that even individually we have many other people we support or Compassion International Children or World Vision Children. And the, the reach from here at Hillside truly does touch the entire world. And God, I pray that you would continue to remind us of the great need in our world, continue to stir in our hearts a burden to pray for these who desperately need our prayers. They're on the front line of mission work. They're at great cost to their families and, and at sacrifice. Sometimes they're serving in places that, that sometimes boggle us. And God, we just pray for those partnerships for ELI, for the living room in Kenya, that you would bless, that you would provide, that you would bring even sponsors to them that would help support the dreams that you've placed in their hearts. For Rainbow Acres, God, and all of those workers and all of those campers, those ranchers there in Arizona, God, we pray your blessing for them. We pray that you would continue to give them your dreams and visions that they would see more and more ministry take place on that camp. And then for GAP, here locally, God, uh, we do give food, and I'm so grateful to Hillside's generosity for, for bringing food every month. But also, God, we pray that you would do an awakening, a spiritual awakening. And just as on Thursday afternoons, physical needs are met, that through the gap, spiritual needs would be met. Lives would be changed. Men and women, boys and girls would come to know you. Thank you for the privilege we have of praying and partnering with these ministries. And we pray your blessings on them in Jesus' name. Amen. Allergies in California are 
killing me, so bear with my voice. So last week as we started this series, we talked about prayer is based in, a, in five things. Prayer is, the way that Jesus teaches us to pray is based in five things. If we get those five things, then we can move forward. But if we miss those five things, We've got to be careful because our prayers begin to get sidetracked a little bit. We said that prayers are relationally based. They're not contractual. If I pray enough, then maybe God will listen or maybe God will answer. They're based in a relationship. That's why Jesus says, pray, Father, who is in heaven. It's not if I pray enough, maybe God will listen. It's not if I can just beg, 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 he'll finally relent and give in. It's he's my father. And I get to pray to him as a son or as a daughter and, and based off of my relationship in Jesus Christ, God listens and God hears and God gives me access and God gives you access in the exact same way. We talked about this idea of our prayers being God-centered because if they're not God-centered, they may become self-centered, selfish prayers. And God-centered prayers, Jesus tells us, are prayers like, hallowed be your name, they're about him. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's saying, God, I have some requests, I have some things I'm going to say, but God, at the end of the day, your will is best. And your will is what we want. We talk about their prayers that express dependence. It's not about me just in the bad times saying, God, I need you. It's even in the good times saying, every good gift that I have is from you, God. And it's remembering that. We need him and his faithfulness is what we need. His mercies are new every morning. It's what we need. Fourthly, we said those kind of prayers are shamelessly audacious. And we're like, what does that mean? But Jesus says we can pray with faith. We can pray to a big God and we can ask big, audacious requests as long as they're in this flow of relationally based, God-centered, expressing dependence. Then we can be audacious. And fifthly, we said, and they're prayers that are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, that God fills us with His Spirit to be the men and the women, the boys and girls to, that he's called us to be. To do the things that he's called us to do. And today what we want to focus on is this idea of we have a privilege in prayer of praying for people. Now sometimes if, if we're honest we have to say a lot of our prayer requests are often about things. A lot of our prayer requests are about stuff. Or situations, circumstances. But I believe probably the priority, maybe even the urgency of prayer, revolves around others. I believe we see this modeled in Jesus, that when Jesus withdrew and Jesus got away from the crowds, very often his prayers were specifically geared towards others. And there's something about the eternal nature of us as humans that gives priority and urgency over just praying for stuff that is temporal, temporary. And so just as we pray for big things like ELI, living room, gap, rainbow wakers, also that we pray for those we know by name. And we call out and we ask God to do in their lives what only God can do. And we pray that God is, if it's me that you want to speak a word of encouragement into their life or help them through a season, God, if it's me, then God, help me. Because here's the reality, we all know this. We talk about things we're excited about, right? When, when we're pumped up about something, we can't help but tell other people about it, right? Just a few weeks ago, friends of ours took our boy, seven-year-old, to his very first monster truck race. 
So I was here on a Saturday night with, with the crowd. Saturday night, as soon as I get home, he's got the gear in his hands still. He is bubbling with excitement, and he can't wait to tell me about Gravedigger. Dad, you should have seen Gravedigger. He went up and he crushed these cars. Gravedigger won. He's the best. He's my favorite. He knew nothing about monster trucks three hours earlier. But he couldn't help but tell us about how awesome monster trucks are because he was excited about it. And the things that we're excited about, they come out. We talk about them. We share with others. We can't help but tell others because we're so excited. What are we telling others about Jesus? What are we sharing with others about what Christ has done and is doing in our lives? And so I want to challenge us today in this area of building a foundation of prayer. And I believe it will change the way we live. The Bible talks about prayer in different ways, but one of the specific ways that frequently prayer is talked about is this biblical word. It's called intercession intercession. It's this idea literally of being a priest for other people. Now some of you are a little bit weirded out because of your background. You're like, me? A priest? But the, the concept is throughout scripture. It's in the, the book of, um, that Peter wrote for um, specific, but it's called, we take this theological concept called priesthood of all believers. And here's what this idea means. That if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you are a priest to other people. And this is what it means. You take other people before God. See, if a prophet takes God before people, I'm doing what a prophet would do. I'm talking about God in front of people. But a priest takes other people before God. Uh, one of the ways we do this is by intercession, by praying. We go to God on behalf of other people. So last Sunday night, I'm at home and trying to recover from a long Sunday. And I'm looking forward to this new series on the History Channel, The Bible. Did anybody see it? Pretty good stuff. If you missed it, tune in to the History Channel tonight. They're going to show episode one followed by episode two. Just get ready. You'll be there a while. But in the middle of this, I'm struck by this encounter. And it's, it's the biblical story we find in Genesis of Abraham. And the angels of the Lord come, and there's three angels, but one of them, uh, we would believe in Scripture, represents Jesus. And one of them is, is telling Abraham, Sodom is going to be destroyed. This city that is wicked is going to be destroyed. And Abraham begins to plead with this angel of God and say, you, you don't want to destroy that, that city. What if there's 50 righteous people? You wouldn't destroy them for 50 righteous people, would you? And the angel of the Lord says, okay, for 50 people I will spare the city what about for 45? Would you spare that city for 45? The angel of the Lord says, okay, for 45, I'll spare the city. And it's something like, how about for 40? Can I hear 30? 20? For 10 people, would you really destroy that city? And he's making intercession. He's pleading before God on behalf of other people. The greatest example that we have of this in all of Scripture is Jesus himself. And we are told in Hebrews chapter 7 that Jesus is this intercessor. Verse 25, it says, therefore he is able to save completely. Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Listen, because he always lives to make intercession. 
That Jesus is the one that what he's doing right now in heaven is pleading, making intercession for those of us here on earth. Praying on our behalf. And he's our model that we would say, all right, if there's something here that I need to learn to pray like Jesus, teach me, God. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. And we'll see an example of Jesus calling us to this very thing. And what we need to know, first of all, is that intercession, this kind of praying, it's warfare. It's spiritual warfare. And it requires us to say, okay, I'm entering into a battle on behalf of someone else. So you don't, don't raise your hand or anything like that, but think about this. In the last week or two, have you prayed for anyone? Have you prayed for anyone? So, so just analyze, what kind of prayers have you prayed Many of us have prayed prayers of, God, would you please heal them? Many of us have prayed prayers like, God, would you bring peace and comfort? God, would you bring wisdom? But specifically today, the kind of praying for other people, the kind of intercession I want us to look at is eternal. It's spiritual warfare over strongholds, over salvation on behalf of other people. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus has been going through the towns and the villages. He's been teaching, he's been doing miracles, he's been doing all these things. And when he taught, just like we spoke in our last series, people often said, who is this man? What kind of teaching is this? And then he would do these miracles and they would say, who is he that even the winds and the seas obey him, that, that spirits come out, that people are healed? Who is he? So once again, in verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, with his eyes, but with understanding, it's something deeper than just a glance. It's he saw, and he understood what was going on. He saw the crowds. He had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep, Without a shepherd. So as Jesus is walking through, there's a few things we want to point out that, that help us to understand this, this role of intercession. That first of all, that Jesus sees. That Jesus sees exactly what is going on in every person that he encountered. That Jesus saw and he, and he noticed and he understood. And the same truth is there today for us. That in a room like this or in the relationships we have, Jesus sees. He knows every detail. He knows what's going on. Nothing escapes him. He sees the joys. He sees the pains. And I wonder if we would examine our hearts to say, do we see other people as Jesus sees them? Do we see other people through a lens through which Jesus would see them? Do we see other people with an eternal kind of a look? Or do we see them just right now in the moment? Because that makes all the difference in the world because what we see in Scripture is when the disciples encounter people very often, they see the people as obstacles. But Jesus says, wait a minute, this is your opportunity. For instance, Jesus is teaching and little children begin to run up to him and the disciples say, get the kids away from Jesus. He has important stuff to do. And Jesus rebukes the disciples and he says, bring the children near." He sees that they're of utmost in value, not that thing that he was getting ready to do. Not obstacles, but opportunities. Another example of this is Mark 6, 34. 
This is the story where we get the feeding of the 5,000. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Our same two phrases, he saw them, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And what we see in this encounter again is the disciples, it's getting late. They're looking at their watches. They're like, Jesus, these people are hungry. Hey, Jesus, send these people away so that they can get something to eat. And Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. And the disciples begin to think, wait a minute, we've got a problem, Jesus. There are 5,000 just men, that's not including women and children. How are we going to feed them? And Jesus says, I I want you to feed them. I'll provide, but I want you to see, and I want you to care. I want you to first notice. And so it's, Jesus is showing us that seeing is important, but that also we have to care about what Jesus cares about. And just my confession is, I don't always care about what Jesus cares about. I get sidetracked, I get busy, I get focused on other things, but if I'm going to experience the life that Christ has for me, if I'm going to experience the the mission and the purpose for which He has me here on this earth, He wants us to see like He sees. He wants us to care about what He cares about. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I love this description that Paul gives about Jesus and His care for others. And Paul is writing to a young minister named Timothy, and he says, I urge then, first of all, so he says, priority of your life, Timothy, priority of your ministry, Timothy, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and hope. And here it is, listen, this is good and pleases God our Savior. Who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth? He says, I want first of all you to be a person that prays for others, that prays that, that others would, would experience God. And he says, this is where it's grounded. That, this is where that priority is grounded. That your Lord, your Savior, desires, wants, wishes that all would come to know him personally. It's his desire, it's his wish. And Now we know that humans, we have choice, we can accept or we can reject. But it's God's desire that all come to know him. That's why scripture says, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. He took initiative because he so desires that we know him. And so not only does Jesus see, not only does Jesus care, but also Jesus works. And that's what his life, being sacrificed on a cross, is all about. He didn't wait for us to come to him. He came to us. He initiated. He works. John five seventeen. Jesus is in a, sort of an argument. Not that he's arguing, but he's defending himself against those who are arguing against him. And it says, in his defense, Jesus says to them, My father is always at work to this very day. And I, too, am working. And here's what we need to know on this idea of intercession. That God is always at work around us everywhere we go. When you go to work tomorrow, God is at work in people's lives. You may not know it, you may not see it, but God is at work. For those of you who go to school tomorrow, 
classmates, God is at work in some of their lives. When we go home today, some of our neighbors, you know, those neighbors, it may be that God is at work in their life. And you never know. You never know what God may be up to. You never know what God may be stirring. And it's somehow interesting that the more we pray, the more surprises, holy surprises begin to happen. The more we pray and intercede, the more coincidences begin to take place. The more we pray, the more we can live in holy anticipation of what may be just around the corner and what God may be doing in someone's life. That God can do the impossible and we know that He's at work. Scripture tells us that. So where is it that He invites us to be a part of joining Him in His work? Sometimes you think, okay, God is at work. I've been praying for God to work. But God sure is slow. If he would just hurry up, things would be a lot better. Second Peter, I love what it, what it says about this idea. Chapter 3, verse 8. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. That reminds me of the person who went to God. God, can I have a thousand dollars? And God said, sure. Just wait a minute. You don't get that quite yet. You'll get it. Like over your burrito at Tio's, you'll get it. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. It's not that he's slow. Instead, he is patient with you. Aren't you glad he's patient with you? Man, I'm glad he's patient with me. I'm glad he's not the kind of father that I am with my kids and I just want them to get it and I want them to get it now. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, God can do the impossible. God can take the hardest person and soften their heart. God can take the vilest person and make them the holiest. God can work in the lives of people that we've written off. And God can do in their hearts and in their lives the impossible. So as we see Jesus going through Matthew 9, we see this challenge that if we would just see other people like he sees them, care about them like he cares, notice that he is at work and and live our lives with this radar that God is at work all around us. Look at the next part of what Jesus says. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Again, for our context, what he's, what he's meaning is God is at work in people's lives. God is at work in people all around us. God is at work in people all over this world. But the problem is the laborers are few. The people who will go and talk to them, the people who will go and help them and minister and serve them, the laborers are few. And so he's going to call us to pray. But before we read the scripture, what do you think he would ask us to pray for? Is he going to ask us to pray that he would just send a message from heaven and boom, talk to them, give them a dream in the night? He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, pray, beg, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Here's what God says. 
He doesn't tell them, I want you to pray and ask God to just send them a dream, wake them up in the middle of the night, convict their heart. He said, I want you to pray and ask God to send out workers, send out laborers, send out witnesses. And here's what's happening here. I believe Jesus is saying if we would prepare our hearts, prepare our lives, get ready ourselves. And then we would begin to pray for other people and pray that God would move in their hearts. And then we would pray that God would send out laborers to tell others about him. God would begin to say, it's you. You are the answer to your own prayer requests. You are ready. You are equipped. You have eyes to see, a heart that cares. You're the answer to your own prayer request. Will you go share? Will you speak a word for me? In his book, The Efficacy of Prayer, C.S. Lewis says this. Can we believe that God ever really modifies his action in response to the suggestions of men? For infinite wisdom does not need telling what is best, and infinite goodness needs no urging to do it. So the question here is, why pray? If God knows everything, if God is all-powerful, why pray? So another Christian, maybe you've heard his name, Blaise Pascal, says that God instituted prayer in order to lend to his creature the dignity of causality. God in his infinite wisdom chose to grant us the honor of prayer so we can participate in his works. If you want to ask me why did God create this thing called prayer, here's my simple answer. I have no idea. I know that God can do things that I can't do that we can't do on his own. He can just do them. But for some reason God says, I've chosen those who know me. Those who love me, to trust me and call upon me and to participate. See, God could do all of the work himself, but then we wouldn't get any of the joy, any of the blessing, any of the privilege of being a part of his work. So God says, I'll give you this privilege, and it begins in prayer. And as you ask me, and as you pray to me, and as you begin to have eyes that see me at work, and you join me, in, your, in my work, you're blessed as well. And you're a blessing to others. For many of you who, maybe you coach a sport here, maybe you teach upstairs in our children's ministry, and I know there's sacrifice. Maybe you set up the chairs that we're sitting in right now. Maybe you drive a shuttle or you help park cars or whatever. Whatever it is you do around here, I know it takes time. I know it takes energy. But sometimes when you just step back, and sometimes you come to me, you just say, I love serving. I love helping other people. I love being able to be a part of this. Now, we know God could, could have said, I'm just going to download everything everybody needs. And, you, and we've all got it. And we wouldn't need other people. But God says, no, I've chosen to use men and women and boys and girls to be a part of my work, a part of my mission. And we have the privilege of joining him in his activity. So then Colossians chapter 4. Paul writes on this whole topic of being an intercessor. And of praying. And he's encouraging others to do so. So he says devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too. That God may open a door for our message. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. 
for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And out of this passage, I've given you on your sermon notes five ways that prayer and evangelism work together. And it's taken, you can Google praying your friends to Christ and there's a PDF you can download for more info. But it's this idea of this prayer that Paul gives that, that we would pray first of all because prayer opens hearts. Paul says it this way, pray for us that God would open a door. That we begin to pray that God would soften the hearts of, of people that we know. Specifically, in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to get one of these name tags. Take three of these name tags and begin to pray for somebody. So let's, let's just let this represent the name of someone that we know. That, that God has burdened our heart to say, this person, they need Jesus right now. And prayer is, is not some nebulous thing. And prayer is not just a general thing. It's supposed to be specific. So by name, we're going to begin to pray for someone. And we're going to begin to pray, God, open their heart. Soften them to your gospel. We're going to begin to pray things like, give clarity to your gospel. Give clarity to truth. We say it, that, that if I'm going to go and just share, if I'm going to go and say, hey, will you come to an Easter extravaganza? Will you join us for Easter services? God, if, I, if I'm going to say, can I just talk to you about spiritual things for a few minutes? God, give me clarity as I share with them. That, that prayer empowers the message that's being presented and we pray that it would be clear. We pray that it would be powerful. And in Romans 1.16, the, the Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. We pray that, that God would empower my feeble attempts to speak, but His gospel would come in strong. That prayer gives us courage and boldness. In Acts chapter 4, we see this example in the early church, they're being persecuted. They're being threatened. Stop talking about this Jesus guy or else. And so they begin to pray. And they don't pray, God, stop those mean people from being mean. They say, God, despite their threats in the middle of this persecution, God, give us boldness. Make us courageous. And so we would just pray, God, give us the courage to talk. Give us the courage to speak. The courage to reach out in love. And fifthly, prayer positions us in the midst of God's work. We, we have eyes to see. We're in the place at the right time to be used of God in a powerful way. Do you have any names? Someone you would say, I, I, I just I pray for this person. I know that they're going through something, or I know that they're running away from God. I know that they're in rebellion. Or you would say, you know what? It's not this in-your-face obvious rebellion, but they're so stuck in their own way that I just pray God would work in their lives. Well, one of my favorite books when I was starting out in ministry is a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. It was about 15 years ago when probably when this book came out, and I was living in North Carolina. And a group of us from North Carolina drove up to Brooklyn, New York to see the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And they had something that was very unique going on. I think it's still going on today. But on Tuesday nights, they had a prayer meeting. 
And on Tuesday nights, they had a, an old theater downtown Brooklyn, about this same size, except for it was two levels. There was a, a big balcony and then a bottom level. And so we, dr- we take a flight and drive into Brooklyn, and, and we're going to this prayer meeting. And it starts at 7 o'clock. We thought we'll get there early. We got there at 6 o'clock. At 6 o'clock, an hour early, the entire downstairs was packed full of people praying already. An hour early, the prayer meeting was almost full. Not quite, but almost like what a prayer meeting here at Hillside looks like. So, So at 6.30, the entire room is packed. Not a seat in the whole entire place. So naturally, they go into the overflow prayer room where hundreds more can gather. It was an amazing thing that was going on, but it was this movement that they were just burdened to pray for their city, to pray for their loved ones. And in this book, uh, Jim Symbol, the pastor, the author of this book, begins to tell his specific story about his daughter, Chrissy, who had ran away from God. And she had ran away from God, and you know, up until like 16, 17, she was the ideal perfect child, but he didn't know what happened. Something happened, and she just turned and ran. And he said he's sitting there on a Tuesday night in the middle of the prayer meeting and, and, an, and an usher comes and hands him a note. And it's written from one of their prayer team members, of somebody that he knew well. And he said, I just trust this lady's spiritual radar. And she said, Pastor Simbola, I think we need to stop the prayer meeting and pray for your daughter. And he said he wrestled with that. Like, is that selfish? Do I do this? But in the middle of the meeting, he just said, I felt like God said, no, do that. So he brought the meeting to a halt And he said, you guys, some of you know, my daughter has been running from God. And we need to stop and pray. And one of the other pastors is going to come up and lead us. And we're going to pray for Chrissy. And he said he went home that night immediately. His wife and him, they had been, you know, just distraught over this for week after week, month after month, year after year. And finally he just said, it's over. What's over? He said, the battle for Christy, I, 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 believe, I believe I just got a sense from God. It's over. It's broken. So 32 hours later, Thursday morning, he's in the bathroom shaving and getting ready. And his wife bursts through the bathroom door. Get downstairs now. And he's like, I'm shaving. She said, I don't care what you're doing. Chrissy's here. She came home. So he walks downstairs. And he says, his daughter's curled up on the floor bawling and he just sort of calmly says Chrissy and she said dad who was it who was praying for me he's like what do you mean who was praying for you so dad something somebody was praying for me and and I'll, I'll quote a little bit of it she says daddy I've sinned against God I've sinned against myself I've sinned against you and mommy mommy please forgive me daddy Who was praying for me Tuesday night? In the middle of the night, God woke me and showed me I was headed toward this abyss. There was no bottom. It scared me to death. I was so frightened. I realized how hard I've been, how wrong, how rebellious. But at the same time, it was like God wrapped his arms around me and held me tight and kept me from sliding any farther. And he said, I still love you. So, Daddy, tell me the truth. Who was praying for me Tuesday night? There's something powerful when we begin to say, God, I'm going to pray for this person. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to beg, and I'm going to ask, and I'm going to trust, and I'm going to wait for you to bring them back.
And so I want to challenge us today to not just talk about praying, to not just say, oh, I wish so-and-so would do whatever, but to pray for it. And especially in a season like this before Easter, we, we do things like this so that you can invite your friends, your neighbors, your family members. We do Easter service here in such a way not just to, to make you happy, but to present the gospel message so our friends can hear it, so our neighbors can hear it. That's what we're about as a local church, is to be a light into a dark place. So maybe in this season, as we head towards Easter for the next few weeks, you would say, there's some names I'm praying for. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to pray, and after I pray, there are Name tags and pens all over this front area. And I would just invite you to come and, and write these names as an act of just giving them to God. You can leave your names all over this stage. There are hundreds of names here already. In the fireside room, those name tags are on a table close to the screens for you. But it's an act of dedication. And then our prayer team and staff will begin to pray with you. And then as you go home for these next few weeks, keep praying. Keep praying. Ask God to do what only God can do in the lives of people that you care about. But even before we do that, we're going to take communion. And we're going to remember what Jesus has done for us. And as we take that bread, we're going to remember, Jesus, your body was broken for me. Your body was broken for this person as well. And as we take that cup, we're going to remember, Jesus, your blood was shed so that I could live, so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be clean. Same thing for them. God, would you deliver them? And in remembering who Christ is and what he has done, and then lifting others up before him, we will pray with fervency and expectation for God to do what only God can do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the power that is found in Jesus Christ. And God, this morning, we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded for ourselves of your example, Jesus, of how you saw other people, how you cared for other people, how you initiated rescue. We need to be reminded again of the sacrifice of you surrendering your life on a cross. No one took it from you. You surrendered it and willingly died so that we could live Willingly shed your blood so that we could be forgiven and cleansed. So we are reminded of the good news of you, Jesus. And also we are reminded that we know people who need to hear this news. Who need to be touched, changed, transformed by your spirit. So we pray that you would soften their hearts, move in their lives. And maybe, just maybe, allow us the privilege of inviting them to church or talking to them about you, praying for them face to face. God, this is a holy moment right now. And I pray that you would move powerfully in this time. And I pray that in the next few weeks we would see answer to prayer after answer to prayer we would see ones that are hard 
their hearts soften, ones that are running away, that they would run back home, that we would see miracles, God, with sisters and brothers, husbands and wives, neighbors, co-workers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you're ready, get up from your seat. You can come write names here. You can go take communion. It'll be a little bit chaotic. But just take your time and let's just do this. Remembering Christ and then lifting up others in prayer.